Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. You and I are here because we are followers of Jesus Christ, and we are God's people, and He called us to be unordinary people in an ordinary world. That's the topic of our lesson today. Welcome back to this practical series from the book of Daniel, Staying Sane in an Insane World, and I hope you all got a study guide today. We'll have some fill-in-the-blanks, something that you can take home and think about, pray about, and implement in your life. We have learned so far from Daniel, we've learned from Nebuchadnezzar, and today we'll learn from three young men. But before we do so, let's review a little bit. For those of you who may have missed the first couple of sessions, Daniel 1, as you know it by now, it's not necessarily about food, it's about an attitude of consecration to the Almighty God. So what you will see on the screen with yellow and underline is what you can actually fill in the blank if you choose to do so. So Daniel 1 is about an attitude of consecration to the Almighty One, the only God we serve. In Daniel 1.8, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Food is just one thing. Drink is another. What else can defile us in this insane world we live in? What we watch on TV, on our phones, social media, what we read? Well, reading has the ability to, to, to actually mold and change our minds and defile us, right? How about what we listen? The music we listen to, talk shows, maybe even preachers. Can what we listen defile us? Certainly. How about what we do or what we say? Can our behaviors defile us? Certainly they can. So from Daniel, uh, from Daniel 1... We learn that what's most important to stay sane in an insane world is an attitude of consecration to God. Put everything away that would defile you, that would stand between you and God the Almighty. When you do so, God will literally do miracles from you. That's what we learn from Daniel 1. Daniel 2 principle is watch for God. Watch for God. When was the last time you saw God at work? I had several incidents this past week. The first one started back here in the fellowship hall this past Sunday, our first ever town hall meeting. We began to prepare for it spiritually last Sabbath afternoon with a call for, for 
consecration, and we had a meeting with people freely expressing themselves. And the leadership of the church, myself as the pastor, we listened, we wrote everything down that was brought up. And uh, by the way, if you have not done it yet, I mentioned that earlier, there is a survey that was sent to you on Sunday afternoon about 1.30, and that will further take you to, to express yourself further with whatever God impresses in your heart. There are certain questions, but you have, you have a place to, to respond and, and express yourself. If you don't have access to email, you can ask us after the service, and you will be given a hard copy of, uh, of that survey after the service. In Daniel 2, we learn that God speaks to us in unexpected, in unordinary ways at unexpected times and places. Uh, for me, Sunday town hall meeting was one of them. Uh, can you think of anything or any place that God spoke to you this week. Now, do you remember what principle we learned last week? The principle we learned last week, stop, reflect, change. Stop, reflect, change. We're invited to go beyond watching for God. Yes, God does His part. How about pausing from this fast-paced life we live and look, look at myself. How am I doing? Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. What is the direction of your life? Do you know the direction of your life? Do you know what God created you for? What is your calling? What is your purpose? in life. And in order to truly have a soul-searching inventory, we first need to ask God to purify our hearts. Create in me a clean heart, David said, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Stop, reflect, and change what needs to be changed. Otherwise, you and I find ourselves living this short life, not enjoying it, and missing out on God's purpose for us. It's been a while since Nebuchadnezzar had his dream in Daniel 2. I know it's been three weeks since we've studied it here, early on this month. Have you ever wondered what happened between Daniel 2 and Daniel 3? Because if you read the book of Daniel, there's a big difference between how chapter 2 ends and how chapter 3 starts. Daniel 2 ends with the king making great statements about God. He promoted Daniel as his gatekeeper at his court. It was the highest political position. Promoted Daniel's three, three friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. It was, again, the best administrative positions over the best province in the world 
the Babylonian province, the capital of the empire. So, great ending of Daniel chapter 2. But Daniel chapter 3 begins with Nebuchadnezzar building a statue of gold for all people to bow down and worship. So, it's only normal to ask, hey, what happened here? Well, lots of things happened since his first dream. One thing is time. It's been it had been 15 to 16 years since he had the first dream of the metalmen of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. And since that time, Nebuchadnezzar dealt with Jerusalem, who supposedly was God's people's city. He dealt with Jerusalem at least in a couple of occasions. Five years after his dream, he went back to Jerusalem and got about 10,000 captives. Ezekiel the prophet was among that crowd of captives that was brought to Babylon. And at the time of the story in Daniel chapter 3, which is almost 16 years past his first dream, Nebuchadnezzar was having a hard time with Jerusalem. He besieged the city the year before and was having a hard time with the people of the Most High God. Remember, this was the God who gave him the vision, the, the dream, where he learned he was supposed to rule only for a temporary time, while the God Almighty was supposed to establish a kingdom that will last forever. And in his stubbornness and anger... He said to himself, no, no, I'm going to show you all that I am going to rule forever. And he built a statue like the one he saw in his dream, except he built it all of gold. And in order to make an official statement about it, he calls all his administrators and asks them to bow down to this statue of gold. To you, he said in Daniel 3, 4, and 5, said, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, when you hear all this music, he says, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And this is how it must have looked. I would like to reenact that a little bit here. So, what we're going to do, we're pretending to be the administrators in the province of Babylon. And I'm inviting you all to stand. And now that I have you standing as... as Daniel's three friends were standing there, and all the people in that plane in front of that image, at the sound of music, I'll invite you to bow down. Well, to sit down. Ready to do it? All right. So let's have the music. At the sound of music, you all bow down.
All right, some people didn't sit down. That's, that's great. That's incredible. That's good. That's good. That's good. I've got three already right here. The three young Hebrews are right here. But I've got more. That's great. Daniel would be impressed, I'm telling you. Daniel would be impressed. Therefore, at that time, Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall and worship shall be cast into the midst of the fiery burning, uh, burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews right here whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. And he said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods of worship, the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the time of the music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, that's good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately in the midst of the fiery furnace. And who is the God? Who is your God who will deliver you from my hands? O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have sent up. Then... Daniel writes, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they hit the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain men of valor to, who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. Thank you. Amen. Before we go on with our story... Let's stop here for a little. I think we have something to learn, right? Daniel 3. Forgot to. My Bible references. Daniel 3. The story in Daniel 3 teaches us what to do and what not to do. We will learn what to do from the three young men and we will learn what not to do from Nebuchadnezzar. 
Let's look at what the three young Hebrews did. The question we attempted to answer throughout this series in every sermon is, how do we stay sane in an insane world? What really happened to them was really insanity. The whole crowd around these three young men bowed down, but they did, didn't. They didn't bow down. Why not? How do you stay sane in an insane world? Do not conform. Conform is the word to fill in. The reality is this. By not conforming, you get in conflict. You become in conflict. You get in conflict with the world around you. You stand out like a sore thumb, like the three young Hebrews stood right here. You are opposed and alone. But you have peace. You have peace not as the world around promises peace. You have inner peace with the only one who can give you peace, the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. Do you want to have peace with the Prince of Peace? Do not conform to the world around you. Why was so important that these three young men would not bow down to this image? Let's consider what it was made of and its size. Daniel 3 verse 1 says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura and in the province of Babylon. Why was it? Have you ever thought about this? Why was this statue entirely of gold and why 60 by 6? Those of you who missed my sermon three weeks ago, you can go to our website and find it there. It's staying sane in an insane world. Watch for God is the title of that sermon on February 8th. Or you can ask for a CD at the AV booth after this service. In that sermon, I introduced and explained the sexagesimal or the origins of the sexagesimal system. See, Nebuchadnezzar made the image entirely of gold from head to toe, symbolic of a golden Babylon that would never be replaced. A kingdom that will last forever. Why was it 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide? Remember, we talked about the circle being a pizza with 6 equal slices. If a circle has 360 degrees, a six, six slices of pizza of 60 degrees each, and we learned that that circle was complete, whole, because of this number, think of the area of this image. What do you see when you look at it? What is the area of what you're looking at? Six cubits wide times 60 cubits tall equals 360 square cubits. Perfect image according to their system. An image worthy to be worshipped because for them it was the symbol of perfection, complete, whole. 
See, numbers were very important to Babylonians and their religious system. They, uh, they are important to us as well. And I think there is more to the golden image that you can quickly think of. How tall was it? 60 cubits tall, right? Does it matter how tall it is? Does it have any significance for Nebuchadnezzar or for Babylonians? Yes, it does. <clears throat> See, long before our social security numbers, the wise men of Babylon assigned mystical religious numbers to their deities. Their leading god of their classical trio was Anu, and his assigned number was 60. And Nebuchadnezzar decided that his all-gold image should stand a 60 cubits tall or high. The three young Hebrews, the three young men, knew the significance of all this. They've been in Nebuchadnezzar's university. For them to bow down was not just a pledge to Nebuchadnezzar's kingship. For them to bow down meant to pledge loyalty to his God. They could not do it, and they would not do it. The three young Hebrews were so loyal to God, so much that they expressed it, they expressed their, their, their loyalty in their willingness to the ultimate sacrifice. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But if not, let it be known to you, they said, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. My friends, we're called, what we're called to do in this world, in these last days, Apostle Paul says, do not conform to it. He advised his church in Rome, and the same advice is for us here in the 21st century America. Do not conform. And now, what do we learn from Nebuchadnezzar, right? We learned that from the three young Hebrews. What do we learn from him? When he heard the testimony of these young men, Daniel writes in Daniel 3.19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed. Again, I'm going to push the pause button here for a while, because I think it is important. How do you understand expression, this expression, full of fury? Full of rage, right? What is rage? An outburst of anger. If you carefully read chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, the first four chapters of Daniel, what have you observed about Daniel as far as his emotions? He often gets angry, right? He often gets angry. I think he has a problem with anger. It happened to him in the previous chapter. It happens here, and his anger only gets worse. Do you know of anyone who suffers from this? 
I'm going to speak a little bit about this because I believe we have a ramp, uh, rampant problem in our society with people getting out of control with anger, and in particular, men. Um, the reason I say men is because though both genders, men and women, get angry, men are more aggressive. Women get angry too, but they have the ability to control their impulses driven by anger better than men, thus making men more aggressive and creating all kinds and types of violence and domestic abuse. I've been looking at this issue since 2017 in my doctoral studies, and in fact, my dissertation is going to be on this issue, and I, I put the cover page working on it uh, on, on, on the screen. Angry Christian Men, a Holistic Approach to Masculine Emotion. But before I write this research paper, I'm going to do a research project with volunteers. Christian men who struggle and suffer themselves or have someone in their family who suffer with anger issues. See, about 22 to 25 percent of general population suffer from anger issues. Men are more than half of that. My purpose of this study is to help, is, is to help not just any man, but Christian, Seventh-day Adventist Christian men who struggle with anger issues. Why do Christian men get angry? By the way, every man in my congregation is invited to participate in my research project. I'm going to be sending out more information, so be looking for that. In, in the next couple of months. The desirable outcome of this research project is to teach men practical, biblical ways to deal with emotions, especially anger. So, what made Nebuchadnezzar feel angry? What made him react in anger every single time he was challenged? Anger is usually a secondary emotion, an outward expression of a deeper emotion like fear. Fear of losing his throne. Fear of losing his life. He felt insecure because the only thing he had and the only thing he knew how to do was to control his kingship at all cost. He couldn't trust anyone. Kings usually didn't trust and couldn't trust anyone. How could we, how could we live differently than Nebuchadnezzar did in our insane world? See, our world is also dominated by a lack of trust. Not just trust for each other, but also lack of trust in authorities, in government, religion, and the list go on. See? My friends and brothers and sisters, I believe that in a world overwhelmed with insecurity, isolation, and fear, we as God's people are called to create a safe environment where people don't have to be afraid. An environment that is free from fear, certainly fear of judgment or insecurity. Then Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 3, 
verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought this man before the king. And what he did in his anger, he asked them a question, but he doesn't wait for an answer. He keeps talking and instructing and giving commands. How many of us, how many of us, myself included, have done the same thing? When emotionally disturbed, either by anger or discouragement, we ask questions but not wait for answers. Or if answers are given, we do not even listen. So how do we not conform to this world around us like the three young men? In verse 16, they answered and said, We don't need to answer to this matter because we already made up our minds. One quick question, one quick lesson we can learn from here. In fact, I listed in your study guide three or four, I think there are four or five things how to not confirm. Decisions and choices are made before the crisis. They were prepared for this crisis long before it has arrived. When the opportunity to stand up for God arrived, they did what they have already planned to do long ago. So my friends, if we think that we can wait until the crisis arrives and then decide it may be too late. Or we most likely not make the best choice. So don't wait until the crisis. It may be too late. We need to prepare for the crisis that is coming upon this world here and now. While there, while, while there is still time, while there is still freedom, Isaiah says, in Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. My friends, here, today, God is calling you and me. God is calling us to decide to stand up for him today. This crisis is unveiling before our, uh, before our own eyes. If, you, if you're there in chapter 3, in front of the burning, fiery furnace. And here is the punchline of the story. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. So how can we not conform to this world? Be bold, be brave, be courageous, and be confident. Our God is able to deliver. What a great line. There is hope in those words. There is trust in those words. There is confidence. No fear. Fear of what? The burning fiery furnace, right? What burning fiery furnace do you have in your life that makes you tremble when you think about it? So, what should have happened naturally? What was expected to happen next after they were thrown in the furnace? 
This man should have been evaporated in seconds, right? But no, what was expected to happen did not happen. Instead, God, the Almighty God, shows up in the presence of His Son. And here are principles we learn from Daniel 1 and 2. God is showing up right there. Do what is right. Don't defile yourself and God will do miracle. Watch for God. These principles are all over this story. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, Daniel relates. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselor, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered. I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth one is like the Son of God. How do you stay sane in an insane world? You do not conform and leave the consequences to God. See, we have it in our bulletin. We have it on our website. We have it everywhere at Middletown. It's all about relationships. A safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. And the first and foremost relationship is that with our Lord Jesus Christ. That is your solution. When we have that relationship, He gives us the trust. And the more we trust Him, the more we trust others. And the more we trust others, the less insecure we become. Fear dissipates. We become open and teachable. We become humble servants. We become like Jesus. And we establish kingdom relationships. I pray and hope Middletown is that place and is your place. Amen.